Hey everyone, welcome back to Generational Differences. This is Hillary. This is Hara. And because we said we would do it last episode, <laughs> this episode, we're bringing you、uh, something super exciting. We're going to talk about voting. The,、uh, voting. <laughs> Yay, voting.、Um, but first, Hana. How's California? You moved in to、uh, your new apartment in Irvine? Yes. Yes, I moved in two days ago. It's been busy, you know, getting all my stuff together, kind of settling down soon.、Um, start school tomorrow. So, well, I guess when this comes out, I'll be already be, have been in school for a couple of weeks. But,、um, yeah. Yeah, it's been good. I'm excited to spend the next three years here. <laughs> Maybe not in this particular apartment, but at least in the area. Yes, yes, yes.、It'll、How's your、good. apartment? It's good. I thought it was pretty small when I walked in.、Uh, I kind of moved things around so it feels a little bit bigger.、Um, but I、yeah. did talk to Hillary and she was like, it's not that bad when I showed her. So it's not that bad that- like, compared to some of the apartments I've seen in New York, honestly. And、uh, I think elsewhere in LA too. Like it feels, I mean, from the FaceTime that I did, it feels pretty spacious. But when I, I'm going to go visit Hana in two weeks. So we'll see how I feel in person. If I feel caged、yeah. in. No, I think, <laughs> I think you're going to like it. I'm like, I'm really enjoying it. So it's the perfect size for one person. That's great. So now, yeah, today, like I said, we're going to talk about voting.、Uh, everyone probably knows what voting is. <laughs> Or has heard about voting. Yeah.、Um, but we're going to talk a little bit about just some of the basics of voting, registering to vote, like how you actually go vote, things like that.、Um, and then also talk a little bit about voter suppression, which I feel like is a topic that people might know a little、um, less about, be a little less familiar with.、Um, and before we dive in,、um, I'll just Both credential myself and also give a disclaimer.、Uh, I did work for about three years as a voting rights、um, attorney in Georgia. And so I have a pretty good、um, knowledge base for Georgia voting law,、um, which actually reflects, unfortunately, a lot of the voter suppression、um, and that history in the South, <clears throat> but that we have all over the country. Um, but I will say, I am not familiar with voting rights laws all around、uh, the US. I don't know, like, specifically in Nebraska, like, what the deadline is to register to vote, stuff like that. But I can talk broadly about、um, just the right to vote and some of these basics here. So I just want to say that before we dive in. And the way I want to have this, at least structure the first part of this podcast, Hana, if you're down, is I'm going to ask you to answer some questions about voting. Okay. So, <laughs> to、um, test,、yeah. test your knowledge a little bit,、um, but then also just so we can, we can talk about it if you get them wrong. Right. Okay. I'm going to try my best. I don't really know anything. So, okay. So let's start. <clears throat> Question number one. We're gonna start hopefully easy. Okay. <laughs> okay, question number one. At what age can you register to vote? Okay, I can do this one. You have to be 18 in the US. Okay, technically that's wrong because you, <laughs> you have to be 18 to vote. But I said, at what age can you register to vote, right? And so、oh. <laughs> you can actually register to vote when you're 17, as long as、okay. you will be 18 by the time you're actually voting、um, in the election. And so a lot, of the pl- a lot of places say like 17 and a half、um, if they are allowing people to register like six months before the election or something like that. And then some states also allow people to pre register to vote as young as 16 or 17, so that, like, when their 18th birthday rolls around, they don't have to be rushing to do it and it's already done. So, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> I never knew that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you have to be 18 to actually cast your vote.、Um, yeah. Not much more to say about that. Good to、okay. know. Next、cool. question. Okay, How、time. do you register to vote? This is a big question, so just kind of give it your best shot.、Um, well,、eh. it, depends. <laughs> it depends on the state, right? It depends on the state that you're in. 
That's right. And I feel like that's going to be the answer for like most of these questions. Um, so well, that's part of the answer for most of these questions. It does very much uh, vary based on state. Okay. But and I what's your experience? I, I think I registered to vote online for Georgia. Okay. Um, so I know that's an option for some states, at least. I don't know if it's all states or what, but uh, I think I did that. can't remember. <laughs> okay, yes, that's good. Um, in some states, most states, I'm not sure um, exactly like how many, but some states at least you can register to vote online. In Georgia, yeah, it was like through the Secretary of State's portal, you could register online, um, which makes it a lot easier. But also, obviously, if that's the only option, then it's not accessible to people who don't have like computers or internet. And so there's also um, the option to register by mail usually, um, or like you can print out a, a registration form online or pick it up at your county board of elections or your secretary of state and then <clears throat> mail it in. Um, or you can, I think, go in person and do it also. Um, and then another place that people often register to vote is at the DMV when they're getting like an ID or something, especially if they're moving states. A lot of the times they'll link up those two things. And so that makes it convenient as well. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> and I guess kind of going back to what I said, um, I want to identify two like offices or something or whatever that you should be familiar with in your state when it comes to voting. The Secretary of State typically is the office that runs like all of the elections across the state. Uh, I don't want to say that for like every state. I'm not 100% sure, but I think typically that's right. And then in your specific county, which actually runs your county's elections, that'll be your county board of elections. Um, it might go by a little bit of a different name than that, but something in that vein. And so those okay. are offices to be really familiar with in terms of getting the most up-to-date voting information for your state and your county and your, like, city and stuff like that. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, and then also just to say that when you register to vote, some states have um, the requirement that you show an ID or you send in a copy of your ID or something like that, which, as we'll continue to talk about throughout this podcast, is a form of voter suppression because – um, accessing identification documents, which may seem pretty basic and easy to a lot of us, is actually um, not as easy for a lot of different populations, including actually a lot of communities of color, uh, immigrant communities, like recently naturalized citizens, for example, and also people who have experienced homelessness, uh, transgender individuals who might not have an ID that matches um, their name and gender identification things like that. Oh, people recently released from prison. And so you'll see ID requirements being implemented in a lot of different states at a lot of different stages throughout the voting process. And that is a form of um, suppression of trying to get make it harder for people to vote. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. There's a lot of like parts and types of um, like areas that I haven't thought about how that would mm -hmm. be voter suppression, but yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk more about that um, but when it comes to registering to vote, just to wrap up that question, just keep in mind that some states do have deadlines by which you have to register. Um, in Georgia, honestly, I think it was like, I don't remember exactly how many weeks, but it was a good chunk of time before the actual election. And once that deadline passed, you can't register and you're just kind of out of luck for that election, which is really crappy. Also a form of voter suppression um, because, I mean, I think they say it's to make it easier for the county and the state to like process everything. But a lot of states also have same day voter registration where you can just walk up, register to vote and cast your ballot. Um, so I don't believe that it's like for necessarily for efficiency. It's just to make mm. it harder for people. Yeah. Okay. So make sure you check on those deadlines. Those That's really important. Okay. All right. Next question. Oh my God. Okay. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. How do you see what races or who are the candidates on your ballot? Oh, God. Dude, I don't know. I The only time I've <laughs> seen what candidates are on my ballot is when I actually have the ballot in my hand. You know what like I when mean? you get to the polling place? Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, there's all these people. But okay. generally, I was never knowledgeable about anyone except for like primary primaries, you know? Like um, presidential probably yeah. races? Yeah. But 
the only place I can think of that I would personally look is like online. I don't know if there's another place. Yeah, no, I mean, that's right. I think a lot of people just get intimidated by the idea of wanting, like, trying to research their entire ballot. And to be honest, I think most of us, like, we vote in elections where there's a, some, a big race at stake, like a presidential um, election, sometimes um, gubernatorial elections, which means, like, governor races, sometimes mayors, um, Senate, some big Senate and House um races but especially president races like i know in the past i've gone into um polling places just being like okay i'm gonna vote my cast my vote for bernie in the primary and that's all i know and then i show up and there's like a hundred other races and i'm like who are these people and so then usually i like vote party lines like i'll just vote all the democrats but a lot of the times i just wish that i would like i know who these democrats are and like who they're actually going up against so i don't just do it so uninformed um, and so the way you can find out um, who's on your ballot and what races are going to be on the ballot, are um, you, usually your state will have a way for you to download or view a sample ballot. And so in Georgia, that was through the Secretary of State's website. There was like a voter page that you could go on and pull up your specific ballot ahead of time and then see all the races. And then unfortunately, it can be a little bit hard and convoluted to find the information about all the specific candidates and positions. Like if someone is running for like your county commissioner, right, you have to figure out what that person's actually going to be doing, who the candidate is, and it can be difficult. But luckily, I think there are platforms that are developing these days to make it easier for voters. I know if you're in the South, for example, there's an app called branch politics and they are developing a lot of really good information on local races to help people get informed um a lot of nonprofits in different areas can like will put out candidate guides or other um information on like ballot referendums and other things that are on your gonna be up for a vote and so they'll help you interpret it and then you should obviously go in with like your own like making your own decision on things but I think it's just important. I just wanted to bring this up because it's important to spend at least some time researching. I don't want to – I'm not going to preach to everyone that like they should research every single thing that's going to show up on their ballot because it is difficult. But it's always good to be more informed than less informed about the local races happening around you. Yes. yes. I didn't know that they had a sample sample ballot you could look at. Mm -hmm, Yeah. Well, especially when you were in Georgia. But I mean, also California, now that you're living there, California has some of the better voting, like voter uh, protection laws and stuff like that. Um, And so they should provide some sort of resource like that, too. Okay. Cool. Okay. Is this interesting so far? Or are you like falling asleep? It is interesting. I just feel (laughs) like um, I'm learning a lot of things. (laughs) Okay. Cool. Next question. Okay. Okay. If an election is on November 8th this year, which it is, by the way, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, midterm elections, when can you go vote in person? Oh, my God. Is it just on election day? Is that your final answer? No, I know it's wrong. (laughs) Um... Okay, election day is right. You can vote on election day, yes. You can vote on election day, but I'm assuming you can go sometime before election day. Like, uh, I'm gonna just take a guess. Like three, like three weeks before. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so it depends on your state and your county. Okay, actually depends on your county, but most a lot of places do have what we call early voting. And, you know, you've heard about early voting. I've done early voting. Yes, you've done early voting. So (laughs) um, what I would recommend – so actually the answer to the question is yes, November 8th, you can go on election day. You should make sure you check your polling hours for election day. Usually I think it's 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And if you're in line by 7 p.m., you should be allowed to cast your vote. Um, But maybe it might be different by different states. I'm not 100% sure. So check those poll hours. But, you know, it's not always convenient for people to go on actual election day. In fact, it's often very inconvenient because it's usually like a Tuesday or something. (laughs) And so it's hard for people to go during the workday or like have to go really early or after work. And so there is the option to go in person during early voting. Um, I do think actually you're 
we're pretty close or spot on. Um, it's usually like a few weeks before the election that it starts. Um, but I've seen it vary a lot by the county in terms of what hours, where the locations are, uh, what days. Like some places in Georgia, it was like only eight to five Monday through Friday the the weeks before, which is really limited. Yeah. And yeah. Um, other places I've seen it, they've had it in Saturdays and Sundays, better hours. And so just check with your county. Uh, and I also will say cuts to early voting is a very common way that peop- that governments try to suppress the right to vote, um, which if you think about it, it makes sense because it's really stopping a lot of the working class people from being able to cast their vote, makes it a lot harder for people to access um, things if they have to go like during the workday, especially if they can't take time off to go do it. And a lot of employers are making it easier for people to take time off during the day to go vote. But especially if like lines are really long or um, their work is really inflexible or something, it can become almost impossible for people to do it. And then they might just, you know, think it's kind of too much of a burden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And also, I think uh, I remember doing early voting when I was in college and in the county in Georgia that I was living in, that it was only open in the office that was closest to me, it was only open 8 to 5 p.m. And I was like, hmm, yeah, how is anyone see, supposed like, to get here? Even for you, like you have class during the day and stuff like that. Yeah. And I was just yeah. like, this is, this is weird. But, yeah. yeah. Actually, speaking of locations to go cast your vote, my next question is, how do you find out where you go to cast your vote? <laughs> I'm assuming there's a, there's a website, right? I don't know. I would just Google it. <laughs> Okay, but if you Google it, like it depends on where you live, actually, where you cast your vote, um, especially on election day. And so you Uh can Google it to find out locations for early voting because typically I think, at least in Georgia, (laughs) speaking from my experience, um, you could cast an early vote in in any polling place in your county. But then on election day, usually you have an assigned polling place. Um, oops, sorry. At least in Georgia, maybe in other places. Actually, I've heard that you can maybe in other states you can go to any polling place in the state. So that's pretty awesome and more flexible. Um, but at least in some states like Georgia, you have to find your specific polling place. And if you don't go to the right polling place, you they won't let you cast your vote there. Oh, okay. uh, and so <laughs> so the way to find out about your polling place is also through your county board of elections or your secretary of state. Um, like in Georgia, we had that voter page and that would pull up your specific polling place, which is typically close to you. Um, so it's typically convenient, but they also would sometimes move them last minute or change them year to year. And so it's important to keep really up to date with that. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah, I know. It's (laughs) kind of makes sense and it kind of is like just crazy and chaotic. Yeah. I'm like, there's all these little things that. Yeah. And it was crazy. Like back in in when we was working in Georgia, we did a lot of election protection work. And so we would have volunteers out at different polling places to answer questions for people to make sure they um, like weren't turned away from the polls for random reasons or just weren't facing barriers. And a very common thing that we faced was people um, showing up to a polling place that wasn't actually it was like They showed up to an early voting location that they had voted at in previous years for early voting on election day, and it wasn't a polling place on election day, so there was nothing happening there, and they were just so confused. And then they would call our hotline or talk to our volunteers, and we would show them like, oh, yeah, actually, here's your polling place. You have to go there. And they're like, it doesn't make any sense. And we're like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) It's just kind of all to make it harder for us. So. It's so dumb. Yeah, I would be so frustrated. And they make it very confusing. So. Okay, next question. What do you need to bring with you when you vote? Uh, like in person? Yeah. Um, I brought my ID. Okay. And that is it. Okay. Actually, that's pretty much right. So um, good job. <laughs> So in Georgia, at least, there is the voter ID requirement in in North Carolina, too, I think, where I was living. Um, 
other states, I'm, I know there isn't a voter ID requirement in some states. And so when you hear voter ID requirement, it just means like when you show up to the polls, they're going to ask for your government issued ID. And there's usually like a list of specific IDs that satisfies that requirement. And if you don't have it, you can't vote. Um, and so like I said before, all these kinds of voter ID requirements are a form of voter suppression, not only because, as I mentioned earlier, it requires access to certain um, well, actually, I don't know if I said this earlier, but here are the reasons that voter ID is a form of voter suppression, because it's harder for people who don't have access to certain documents. So like if you remember when you went to like go get a driver's license, you usually have to show like proof of residence, uh, so like either your birth certificate or like a social security card or like, you know, all those different kinds of um, documents that we have to like, even like I have to go and like rifle through my closet to try to find them. Um, but some mm -hmm. people like don't have those, right? Like they don't have a social security card or they don't easily have access to a birth certificate um, or people who were naturalized may not have all the, the correct documents. And then people who like are experiencing homelessness, for example, may not have that proof of residence. And so it makes it harder uh, the vote requiring an ID to vote makes it harder for people who don't have access to those documents to be able to cast their ballot. Um, and those are people like already marginalized communities like people of color, um, people recently re released from prison, things like that. Um, and also getting an ID requires money because you have to pay a fee to get an ID usually. Um, and it requires access to transportation. Often it requires access to internet. It's just like when you have access to all of these things, it's so much easier. And when you don't, then it's like becomes exponentially harder to get that ID and then also put in the effort to go and vote. Um, and some states, including Georgia, which is good, started doing like free voter IDs for people so that it wouldn't be as much of a barrier. But, you know, it still requires like access to transportation. So, um, certain documents but also it's just like an additional way like an additional place that people have to interact with the government and get a government document to then be able to do something as simple as you know contribute their voice to our democracy so yeah okay yeah does that make sense Goodness. it does it's yeah. just um yeah i feel like I, you told me this stuff before and i was like I kind of get why people don't want to vote. <laughs> <laughs> when it's that hard, you know, that's the thing. The idea behind voter suppression often is not like this one thing will stop everyone that we want to stop from voting, but it makes it, each little thing makes it harder, right? Like you don't have, you need an ID. You have to go during these hours. You have to figure out your particular polling place. You have to register by this deadline. You have to cast your ballot um, in this way. And so it's like all of these different things make, like it's all there to discourage people from voting, I suppose. And it's been unfortunately pretty successful um, in recent decades, but it's starting to change. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, that's all you in whatever if your state requires ID, that's all you need to bring when you go to vote. You can also choose to bring written information um, about your ballot or your candidates, like research that you've done. And I say written information because some states don't let you have your phone out while you're in the voting booth. And so yeah. um, just to keep that in mind. Um, and something you don't need, which some people think you do, is your voter registration card. You don't need that because they have um, all that on file at the county. Okay. So, okay. Yep. That's that. Cool. Ready for the next question? Yes. Are they getting okay. progressively harder? Because I don't think I can answer the next one. Um, they. I wouldn't say they're getting progressively harder. I think it's kind of all over the place. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> all right. What do you do if you cannot go vote in person, but you do still want to vote? Obviously. <laughs> Okay, I did this. This happened yes, to me. Yes, explain how you did I this. I was in I was in Georgia, registered to vote in Georgia, but I was staying at home during COVID, I think. Right. Which yes. is in Oregon. And so Hillary was like, You can get an absentee ballot mm -hmm. and um I think I did it online, but then they mailed it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's right. <laughs> they, they mailed it to so me. So tentative. <laughs> and then 
I could, I sent it in. But I remember hand delivering something too in Georgia. Yes, we did do that too. Okay. So I got an absentee remember. ballot. <laughs> yes, that's the answer. <laughs> um, I can't remember if that was two different situations or if like, actually what I think happened for Hana was she requested an absentee ballot. It didn't get there on time. I had to call the county board of yes. elections. And then we had to get another one. And then by the time we got it, um, she was already going back to school or something. And so it was actually easier to go and deliver it in person in Oxford, yeah. Georgia, um, to an absentee ballot drop box than to mail it. Like, I think if we had mailed it in, we wouldn't have gotten it in on time. Right? Yep. I remember that now. Yeah. Drove, so, Hillary yeah. drove me all the way to my to that little ballot box. <laughs> yeah, in Oxford, which is like rural Georgia. Yeah. And like this is a perfect example of like different voter suppression tactics also because when you so voting absentee or getting an absentee ballot just means that you're getting a ballot that you can cast without going to vote in person, right? And you it's kind of also called vote by mail. And so in a perfect world you would not have to request your ballot. You would just get one automatically during each election. You would send it in and there would be no ish, no delay with the mail and it would get there, it would get processed and your vote would count. But in a lot of states, like in Georgia, for example, Hana, like, like in Hana's case, we had to request the absentee ballot by a certain deadline, which is sometimes a little bit of, um, ahead of the election day. And if you don't request it by then, you can't, get, you can't vote absentee. And then... Actually, I think recently, because of some law changes in Georgia, you have to send in a copy of your ID in some situations, which is another form of voter suppression, as we've talked about. And then you have to send it in by a certain time, uh, and they have to like receive it by a certain time. And if they don't, then it doesn't count. <sighs> and so <laughs> it's just like, and then mail, you know, especially during COVID, mail like the USPS was incredibly unreliable and it's not the post office's fault. I don't not gonna like shit on the post office, but it was just like overloaded, everything was delayed, um, under resourced, and so mail was getting delayed a lot. Um and pe so it was a lot harder for people to vote absentee. And when you make it hard for people to vote absentee, the people that really suffer or decide sometimes not to vote are people with disabilities, you know, because it's harder for them to go vote in person a lot of the time, depending on their disability. And then especially during COVID, people like with medical vulnerabilities or compromised immune systems um, need to vote absentee if they can't go out in public and like don't want to expose themselves to harmful virus. <clears throat> and then also people who um, like need assistance with English, like people who speak another language but are citizens and want to cast their vote and need language assistance, it's often easier for them to get a ballot at home and then have like a family member or a friend help them fill it out, um, which is totally allowed, I think, hopefully in all states. And um, then they can send it in and just take more time with it. And so there's particular yeah. populations that like more so need to vote absentee or like yeah. benefit from it. And so when you create barriers there, it makes it harder for them. Mm -hmm. And then also students, of course, like Hana and yeah, yeah. people overseas. And so, yeah. Okay. okay. Cool. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's voting absentee, but I mean, it's good that it's an option. I, I feel like I just talked about all the crap that can happen, but it is an important option. And so if you are not able to vote in person, um, definitely consider voting absentee. Just make sure you're planning ahead and uh, figure out those deadlines that you might have to meet. Okay. Question number eight. Um, this is actually kind of related to what I was just talking about. Are there accommodations that can be made um, or that you can get if you have a disability or you need language assistance when it comes to voting? Uh, so you kind of touched on it. Aside from the ones you mentioned, I can't think of any um, accommodations. Hmm. I just remember like it being very strict uh, when I was with Hillary H. and she was helping with um, voter suppression outside the the off like the the ballot places and they were like you know you can't have a translator or like things like that yeah and people that, didn't really know the laws you know yeah 
Exactly. So we that was a battle we fought a lot in Georgia. And it was actually part of a lawsuit that I was involved in in my prior job was making sure that people that voters um, who are limited English proficient could have access to an interpreter. Um, and I don't know if this is the case in all states. I hope it is. But I know at least in some states, you're allowed to bring an interpreter with you who's just there to purely to interpret the ballot for you and help you figure out how to actually cast your vote on the machines. Um, and in Georgia, it was like only because of a particular lawsuit that we filed that in all elections, people were able to bring an interpreter, um, with them. And like, yeah, like you, like Hannah said, there was a lot of confusion, especially after that lawsuit was settled. Like there were still poll workers who were trying to stop us from, um, or stop our interpreters from going in. And so I guess that's the answer to the question is yes, there typically are accommodations that can be made, um, especially when you need language assistance. You can try to get an interpreter, you can vote absentee and get language assistance in a lot of cases. Um, and then if you have a disability, some polling, a lot of times polling places are required. Actually, I think all the time they're required to be like ADA um, compliant, which is like the American with Disabilities Act. So like acts, like the places actually have to be accessible. And then oftentimes if people have a disability and they need to like go to the front of the line, poll workers will allow them to. And so there should be accommodations that are made, but it's also a form of voter suppression when those accommodations are not respected. Um, and it's important to check the laws in your state about all of those things to make sure you're not like accidentally violating the law if you're trying to help someone with their ballot. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Next one is a big one. I have two other questions before we move on to the next part of our podcast. The next one is a big one. I, <laughs> and it's multiple choice. So that'll be good. Okay. <laughs> So we've been talking a little bit about voter suppression, but aside from voter ID laws and strict deadlines for voting and discrimination based on language access and disabilities, which of the following are examples of voter suppression that we've seen in the U.S.? Okay, okay. A, rejecting absentee ballots where the signature on the ballot does not match the signature on the voter's registration form. B, Cuts to early voting, including limiting the hours to business hours during the week or eliminating it altogether. Oops, I already talked about that. C, (laughs) eliminating polling places, particularly in black and brown neighborhoods or on Native American tribal lands. This leads also to long lines that make it harder for people to vote, especially if they have to vote for hours. And D, the purging of thousands of voters from the voter registration lists because of inactivity, quote unquote, in the last elections. And E, <laughs> all, all of the, the above. above. <laughs> yeah. It's all is that of your the answer? Above. It is, unfortunately, yeah. all of the above. Have you heard about all of these in, uh, before this? Mm, only from you. Yeah. <laughs> from you. Yep. Yeah. And um, in Georgia, at least, all of these were making headlines in the last few elections. And so. Yeah. We were seeing all of these kind of all at the same time in a lot of cases, um, all converging, all from the same Secretary of State, <coughs> Brian Kemp, <coughs> oh, <okay. laughs> who then became governor. Um, but yeah, we were we were seeing all of these in Georgia, in uh, shoot, I'm like Ohio, I think, like you know, other, mm-hmm. lots of other places. Lots of other states, yeah. <laughs> um, and then other examples I want to mention are uh, failure to inform formerly incarcerated people of their voting rights taking voting rights away from people with felonies, and then laws requiring proof of citizenship when voting, which marginalizes immigrants. Why are they taking away taking away rights from like people who committed felonies? Well, I mean, that's like a, actually a law in a lot of places is people with felonies aren't allowed to vote. And okay. it's just part of the criminalization of uh, communities of color. Uh, I think Florida, actually, like in recent years, um, change that law in their state, but, um, or something like that, or, or no, no, no. I think they, mm, I forget what they did, but props to Florida for, I think, <laughs> limiting some of the, um, restrictions on people yeah. based on their criminal records. Yeah. But I'm not going to go into all of these like examples really specifically, but as you can see, like, broad swath, uh, top line, I guess, these kinds of voter suppression tactics 
often target those marginalized people, uh, groups of society. People of color, including Native Americans, like I mentioned, there's um, oftentimes polling places are closed um, on tribal lands or they're just not put on tribal lands. People with criminal convictions, uh, LGBTQ individuals, immigrants. And so it's just like all it's like very clear to me when I look at all of these examples, um, who is in power and who the, they're trying to take the power away from when it comes to making our voices heard. And I think also it's incredibly like it's it's it would be uh, remiss of me to mention all of these examples and not say that this has been the case throughout U.S. history. Yeah. Um, and I'm obviously I'm also not a historian, but I've read a lot about voter suppression history. Um, and it goes all the way back to like not giving people of color the right to vote at all, of course, right? Like way back in the conception of our country, it was only white men with property or whatever that could vote. Um, but then when the right to vote was eventually given to black men, which it was in 1870, um, voter suppression then took on a new face during Jim Crow and the, the following, um, I guess, century. Um, poll taxes, as you've heard of, like having to pay a fee to vote, grandfather clauses, uh, literacy tests, which is like mm, yeah. requiring people to actually pass a literacy test before you cast your ballot. Um, and poll taxes and literacy tests were not outlawed until the 1960s, which is really crazy. And it was only until the Voting Rights Act was passed in 1965 that Black women were then able to vote, quote unquote, freely. I know, which is really, really recent. But then after the Voting Rights Act, we then see these other kinds of voter suppression that I've been talking about um, coming out of individual states. Because the Voting Rights Act is a federal law, but it's still like with a lot of, like with every other case of um, just like social justice issue, it, it then mm -hmm. goes to the states to make their own laws. Um, yeah. And individual states started like gerrymandering, which is, yeah. you know, I don't, it, I don't, can't go into that in detail, but it's like drawing district lines to give certain political parties or certain groups an unfair advantage. <clears throat> yeah. And then also voter ID laws um, and then other things like closing polling places, the other stuff I mentioned. And so I guess I just want to say that because, yes, this stuff is horrible and um, it's like all kind of converging often in the South and in the Midwest and in other states. But we've also seen this since the beginning. And it's all specifically to target these same groups that the white majority and the people in power um, are afraid yeah. of, like rising up, actually taking over our democracy, making our voices heard to like speak up for issues that are important to us. Um, and as like we, the communities of color and immigrants be become the majority, I think people become even more scared of their power being taken mm -hmm. away. Um, and so yeah. we continue to see these kinds of things develop. Yeah, it's crazy actually to hear you talk about all of this. It makes me think <laughs> differently about all of the elections that happened before I was born and like before our parents came here and stuff, like who was actually voting and yeah. like who we elected right. as a result is, is pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah. Good point. I, yeah. I, I don't even think about that that much. Actually, I don't think our parents even voted. I want to say that our parents' first election was Obama. I think that might be right. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 But oh wait, I, but I also don't remember when they became citizens, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's actually part of the reason like we didn't get a political education because we should be getting it in school and we don't. But then in our home, like our parents had other priorities, understandably. And so we didn't get one at home. Um, and so then like both of us, neither of us really got into the political stuff until like college at the earliest and then even later Yeah, for me. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's my mini voter suppression lesson. Um, okay. If you have, if you're interested in reading more, I do have a recommendation for a book that people should read, which is uh, One Person, No Vote, How Voter Suppression is Destroying Our Democracy. And it's by Carol Anderson, Professor Carol Anderson, who is mm -hmm. actually a professor at Emory. Emory. And Hannah and I have both met her and she is truly wonderful, but she is also brilliant um, and has researched voter suppression in the United States for a very long time and is an expert. And so if you, 
you liked the like two minutes that I gave and you're interested in knowing all of the details, check out that book. Yes. Okay. Our last question, Hana, for you is after you vote, can you take a picture of your ballot and post it on social media to celebrate? No. <laughs> no, but you Why can. You can take a picture of the little sticker they give you. That's right. Hannah's, I feel like Hannah's been, this has been like <laughs> um, pounded into Hannah's head in Georgia. Yeah. It is illegal in Georgia to do that. Mm. Uh, to take a picture of your ballot. And so, but I don't think it's illegal in all states. So check your states. Hmm, interesting. But in some states it is illegal. So like, be careful. Yep. And I've done that in the past too. And I had people be like, uh, this is illegal. And I'm like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Learn yes. from our mistakes. Yes. Okay, cool. cool. Any questions from you before we <laughs> move on? That was kind of my mini voting rights lesson. Yeah, I um, liked it. I liked it a lot. It was a good refresher, you know, to hear all the things that I'm sure you once told me, but then I was just like, okay, as long as my sister knows it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> as but, long as um, she knows, I'll just ask her every single time that I have to vote. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know me, but... Um, yeah, it was good. Good to hear everything. I think the the general feeling I and takeaway I've gotten from from you talking about voting in the U.S. is that it's hard. It can be frustrating, <laughs> and it's unfair sometimes for a lot of people. Yes. So there, yes, you know, it's absolutely. important to be knowledgeable so that so that you can vote and other people can learn how to vote. Yeah, absolutely. And I will just shout out like all the different local and state um, nonprofits around the country that I know are working really hard on voting rights issues in their states. Um, and they will be the expert on your state's specific stuff. And there's a lot of election protection um, mm -hmm. hotlines and groups mm -hmm. that you can reach out to as well. Um, I'll shout out the organization I used to work at again, which is in Georgia, and it's Asian Americans Advancing Justice Atlanta. We did a ton of work to help people access um, the polls in language, like in different Asian languages, but in other languages aside from English as well, and make sure that those rights were respected. Um, but then also just general voter education and poll protection stuff. And so shout out to them. I mean, tons of other shout organizations out. in Georgia, New Georgia Project, uh, Fair Fight Georgia. So just, I only know Georgia stuff. <laughs> Do your own Googling, find the nonprofits in your area that will, can help you out too if you need more resources or connections. Yes, yes. Cool. All right, so the next part. Okay. Now, y'all, this is when it gets intense. So the, ne <laughs> the next part, um, and shout out to my husband, Diego, who suggested this. We are going to simulate – or no, we're not going to simulate. We're going to have a real debate, okay? Hana, we're going to – let's pretend we're in speech and debate in high school again. So okay, got it, got it. The, the topic is voting is important, okay? That's the topic. That's the prompt. I am going to argue the affirmative that voting is important, and Hana is going to vote, uh, argue the – the negative, I don't know what the opposite of affirmative mm -hmm. is now, yep. the negative, um, where she doesn't think voting is important and she doesn't want to vote and um, she thinks it's all kind of dumb. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, right. that's what we're going to do Let's and we're it. just going to hit it. Yeah, we're going to hit it. You ready? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm yes, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. Well, I think voting is really important. I mean, I didn't prepare for this, but I think voting is really important because um, – you know, there's always issues that we care about and the elections that are happening all around the country, both locally and nationally, represent these issues, whether it's climate change or criminal justice reform or housing justice or whatever it is that you care about. Um, these are we're voting for people that are going to represent us to speak up on those issues, hopefully um, to make changes in our communities. And we are all, even if we're just one voice putting through our vote, it all adds up. And if we can also convince our friends to vote and get our voting blocks together, we can actually make a big impact. And we've seen that in the last few years. So that's my opening argument. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. You make a good point. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care about politics. I, I don't care about voting. And one of the reasons why I don't care and I've never cared is I feel like there's nobody in, you know, who's running for office that has ideas that 
I value and I support. Mm -hmm. And so it can be difficult, you know, to want to vote when essentially it's hard to make a difference when I have to vote between two people who are, you know, neither of them are people who I I want, you know, to, to represent me and represent the things I care about. And so, yeah, I just feel like also, I just feel like politicians, they are evil. They can't be trusted. They, (laughs) they probably don't have my best interest in mind. And like, if someone wants to earn my vote, then they need to actually earn it and not just, you know, be after a bunch of money and stuff like that. So I just don't care about politics. That's why. I think that's actually a really valid point that you bring up. No, I actually think that I'm like, I'm like a little thrown off because I don't have a good (laughs) response. But I think I think that's actually a really valid point. Because I feel that way. Like, as someone who thinks voting is important and thinks everyone should cast their vote, I also feel like in a lot of elections recently, especially on the national level, I've been stuck. Like, okay, I mean, to be like very clear about it, we had we were facing a choice between Trump and Biden in the last presidential election. And yeah. I think for a lot of us, neither of them really represented our vision for what we want the U.S. to be. Um, Trump obviously would never vote for him, doesn't represent anything that I uh, believe in. But then, and like Biden, he's like, there's like a couple of things that I'm like, yeah, you know, he's like, <laughs> he's yeah. like really just the lesser of the two evils. Um, and he's not someone that like inspired me with his policies or his rhetoric. And so I totally hear you on that. I think in that kind of a situation, I would say it's still important to vote because we are doing harm mitigation for our communities in a lot of ways. And I think that's like sadly why we chose to vote um, yep. or a lot of us chose to vote is like, okay, we know that our communities cannot handle another four years of Trump because people are actually dying um, more potentially more, I guess, under, than under, under Biden. Um, but you know, then since Biden has been in office, we've also seen some positive changes, but also still people dying, mismanagement of COVID, stuff like that. Um, but I think, uh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. I would say it's about harm mitigation. And then also I think the fact that there might not be people on the national stage that inspire you doesn't mean that you should reject the idea of voting altogether. Like there are local races that you can focus on, which actually might make more of an impact. Um, You could always consider running for office yourself and joining the legions of evil politicians (laughs) and not being one of the evil ones. Um, Or you can, you know, like there are candidates in like progressive parties and stuff that are running. They just aren't um, in the mainstream yet or they don't have the support that they need. Um, but putting your vote forward for them can also matter. And so I, I think I would just encourage you to not equate the two. Like, yes, our political system sucks and we're incredibly polarized and bipartisan. And maybe none of us feel like our system represents us and our politicians are all influenced by money. But also we have power in our vote and we can still transform like our country based on this democracy. But I feel like that requires a lot of hope, which can be hard. Yeah, I think that it does require a lot of hope and um, having the mindset that I'm actually going to make a difference when I'm not even sure if the person I'm voting for is going to, you know, make a difference for people. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, aside from not caring about politics, I, (laughs) I also just, I feel uneducated because... Like you said, I we never learned about voting or how to vote or, you know, why we're voting really in um, school or anything. And so I just feel like if I vote, you know, I'm going to be, it's I don't know, I feel like I'm not going to know all of the issues. And then I, I feel like I'll be defending issues that I just don't know nothing about. And I don't think I can do that. Yeah, I think that's really fair. And also... like part of the reason it's so hard is because like the people that are writing the ballot and creating these systems are trying to make it hard. Like there's a way to make the ballot clearer. Like it could be a lot more user-friendly and it could explain like exactly what people are voting for better. 
but instead they put it into like really complicated legal language a lot of the time. They make it just like very confusing about what these races actually mean and what the positions would actually do. Um, and then there's not clear resources out online. So I think that's actually a really fair concern. Um, and then like none of us want to go in and like just bubble in stuff just, just to bubble in stuff, right? Like we want to know what we're voting for. And so I think unfortunately it does require some time to go and research stuff, but the resources are out there. But also I would say you don't have to, if you don't fully understand everything on the ballot, you don't have to cast a vote for everything. You can decide which races you really care about or which candidates you really like and just vote for them. I think the the entire ballot can be really intimidating sometimes, but you know, it's maybe this is a controversial opinion, but it's also okay to just go in and vote for the things that you care about and not worry about everything else. It's better than not voting, I think. That's that's my take on that. <clears throat> okay. Okay. Yeah. Like let's say I want to vote, but I support a third party. Like mm-hmm. I've been told that that really doesn't matter or that I'm going to be like essentially throwing away a vote if I support a third party because, you know, they're not going to win or it's essentially yeah. like I, I heard in the last election, like that's essentially voting for the worst candidate. Yeah. So what do you have to say about that? I think that's really complicated. I've struggled with that a lot myself because like when it was Hillary Clinton versus Trump, I really didn't want to vote for either of them and I wanted to cast a third party vote. When it was Trump versus Biden, I also wanted to cast a third party vote. But I think especially in the second time around after seeing all the harm that Trump's administration had done for um or had committed upon our immigrant communities especially, I like didn't I just felt like I couldn't in my in my good conscience vote for um, a third party knowing that it would be like one less vote to oppose Trump. But I personally also don't feel like it's right to shame people who decide to vote third party or decide not to go with this mainstream political um, choice that we're faced with because it's shitty to have to vote for someone that you don't like (laughs) essentially. And so I think it's just, to me, it's like you're making a decision either way, like a moral decision that can be really difficult. Because if I'm voting for Biden, also it's like, well, you're supporting this guy who's like deporting a lot of people and, um, you know, hasn't actually lived up to his campaign promises and like whatever, whatever. Right. And so it's like, you can't win either way. And so you make the decision that you can live with, I guess, which sucks. Okay. Now I feel like I'm talking myself out of voting a little bit, (laughs) but I think the point that I'm trying to make is I don't think you should feel ashamed if you do decide to vote um, a different way than like the mainstream is demanding that you vote. I just think that we should always consider like what our choice means to us and what it could mean in the long run. Because I think when it came to Trump versus Biden, it was a close race, right? And like our voting blocks, like young people, uh, people of color, we actually did make a difference in a lot of states. And so- like taking that into consideration, I feel like it makes me feel like my vote matters more, first of all, especially if you're in a swing state. And then it also shows me that like the wave of our generation is coming up more, which makes me feel more hopeful and empowered. And so then maybe it's like we vote to get this really shitty guy out of office and then we try to hold this like less shitty guy accountable so that in the future we can replace him with an even less shitty guy, right? Like we're fighting against this huge really powerful, really like greedy system that's been built up since the conception of the United States. But our goal hopefully is to get like less and less bad. (laughs) Um, And we can, if I think the other thing is like the other option is not to vote. And if you don't vote, there's not even a chance that you can make a difference either like whatever you decide to do with it. That's true. That's true. I, I felt like my vote didn't count, but like, Talking about you know using like an actual example, like the last election makes me feel like I shouldn't be lazy, you know, and I should care more because it is true that we did make a difference mm-hmm. um, with such a in Georgia, race. especially in Georgia, yeah, oh my God, Georgia was like crazy. the perfect example, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so okay, okay, interesting. Well, like I've heard from a lot of people, but I also feel this way myself. <laughs> I'm trying to be like, okay, um. <laughs> It doesn't, it's just like in the end, 
in most cases, right? So like Georgia is a is is diff- was different this last election, but let's say I live in a very red state, right? And the what is it? The electoral college is probably going to vote Republican. So then like why should I even cast my vote? Like is it really what do you think Georgia was like an anomaly or do you think that thing like situations like that are going to you know increase or change? I personally think that these kinds of that Georgia is like the starting point for other states going purple. Mm-hmm. Um, other red states going purple. Hopefully not other blue states going purple. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but if we're talking about red states going purple, I think that as you know, young people start to vote more, as communities of color get more politically ec- educated, as people in the cities are really starting to vote blue, um, and these cities are growing all the time, like we'll start moving more towards um, purple states. But I think it's also kind of balanced with, or like it's also hard because in these cities that are growing, people are facing a lot of issues like houselessness, um, nothing's affordable. Like that doesn't make you want to vote to continue to support um, like the way that we're going. And so I think it depends on what our politicians on like the democratic, in the democratic party continue to stand for. And I've never been like a, like a Dem. Like I'm not like a staunch Dem because like I don't believe in a lot of the things that centrist Democrats stand for. I actually very strongly identify with like the progressive party and wanting to make things more affordable for people, access to a lot more support resources and stuff like that. And so if we're able to move especially towards things like that, I know that a lot of young people support those kinds of platforms and climate change also, like climate justice and stuff like that too. Um, And so far candidates can start to develop or I guess continue to develop because Bernie and like other progressive candidates have brought forth these platforms and have seen a lot of support, um, then maybe we can even like see that change even more. Yeah. But I guess that's just to say, I don't think Georgia is an anomaly. I don't know because I'm not a national like voting um, analyst or anything like that, but I don't think it's an anomaly. But I think when it comes to like living in a really red state, I would just ask you back, like, what if you and all the other Dems or progressives in your state feel that way and, like, just decide not to vote, right? You just never know how many of you are out there. And if you're not organized or, like, meeting together, you'll never know. And so what's the harm? I I guess, like, there's more harm in not casting your vote than, you know, going out and casting it and feeling like maybe, oh, maybe it doesn't matter, but maybe it does. Oh, I, just, I, okay. I guess that also speaks to like if you are interested, like getting involved with um, other people in your community, like depending on where you live, I think. Like if you live in a really rural part of a Republican state, I think it might be difficult. But in a lot of cities around the country, even in Republican states, there are progressive, uh, diverse organizers and organizations Um like coming together. And I think that's also part of the reason that I'm inspired. And I think that things can change because I've seen it in Georgia. I've seen it in Louisiana for goodness sakes. I've seen it in Alabama in some parts. I've seen it in Ohio, in Texas, in Florida, like all across the country where there is Republican white nationalism rising. There are also these amazing organizers and organizations fighting against them. And so in Kansas, shout out Kansas again from last episode. Um, And so getting involved with those can also, those kinds of groups can also make you feel more connected to the people and make you feel like your vote does matter. Yeah, you changed my mind. Okay. (laughs) That's not, that was not the point of the debate. Uh, Also the point of the debate was not like who wins, who loses. We were just trying to, I was trying to show, actually, I was trying to understand a lot of the reasons that like Mm. young people like Mm -hmm. Hana's age don't vote because she's told me a bunch of times that like her friends are just not interested or like not motivated, don't care about politics. Also to the point about not caring about politics, I think it probably goes beyond like not seeing someone that represents you. I feel like I've also talked to people who are just like, I don't know, why does it even affect, it doesn't even affect me. Like I'm good. My my life is chill. Um, but oh. if you open up your mind and see like, even if you're chilling, 
your children are not going to be chilling. Like we are facing climate crisis. We are facing ever more expensive housing market. We are facing uh, inflation all the time, of course. We're facing uh, mass incarceration in our country. And especially if you're a person of color or any sort of marginalized identity. Uh, but even if you're not, like there are issues that are going to be affecting us and our people for generations to come. And so it does affect you. And I think starting to educate yourself on that um, can help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think more people are, are you know, trying to figure out how to vote or interested in how they can make a difference after the election we had, uh, especially. But, okay. and also like Gen Z is, is mobilizing a lot more than in the past generations and yeah. more people are interested. So that's really good to see. But yeah, I think the main thing I, I really heard was like, I just don't know how to care about it almost, you know, like it was really interesting to hear, but I also really related to that because I don't think I would take the time to learn all this for myself if it wasn't for someone helping me like Hillary. I'm glad to hear that like learning how to vote is part of the challenge and that can like that I feel like can be resolved. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I think the other thing about like not knowing how to care about issues, I think it's very hard for people who are not, personally touched by certain issues to care but the more we show them like that we care and the more that we show them stories of people in their community or close to them that have been affected the more people I feel like do get moved and do like feel more compelled Mm -hmm. yeah Um, but to wrap up this conversation I do have a last multiple choice for question for you if you are willing (laughs) yes okay I'm ready Okay, related to all we're talking about, as of 2020, young people, which I believe is like 18 to 23 or maybe some, yeah, 18 to 23, Gen Z essentially, made up what portion of eligible voters? Okay, eligible. About 10%. Oh, sorry. A, about 10%. B, about 25%. C, about 33%. D, about 50%. This is asking, asking uh, who voted or no, 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 eligible. So all voters in the country that could vote. Don't think about who voted. Just all of the co- people who could vote as of twenty twenty. How many or what percent was young people? I, I'm I'm gonna say twenty five. Okay, the answer is not twenty five. The answer is one third, more than one third. Oh, wow. So more than thirty three percent. Oh. That's a lot. That is – I thought that – okay. That's a lot. In the 2020 election. Yeah. That is a and lot. And that, that's a lot. That's a third of eligible voters are young people, which means that young people hold a lot of power if they actually yeah. exercise their but right But they don't. Right. So then the question is <laughs> – so then – I'm not going to ask you this question. I'm just going to tell you. But according to some sources, in the 2020 presidential election, only half – maybe less, mm-hmm. of all eligible youth actually voted. Yeah, yeah, which that is sounds an, about right. Yeah, which is an increase from past years, but still not enough. We also know that young people, Gen Z, are also more like racially diverse and um, otherwise diverse than previous generations. And so we're talking about a really diverse, like educated in a lot of cases, young population that has the power they have so much potential and then they're not using it in a lot of ways which we knew but looking at these numbers like it's just a reminder that not just young people but all of us if you're not voting and you have questions and concerns about it you know find out the information for yourself or reach out to someone who can help because it is really important we have so much power like if, if if all the eligible youth voted and they're voting for issues that represent their communities, their diverse communities, like we could make such a big difference. Wow. That's actually crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It would, it would make a huge difference. And I, do you know the, the age group that votes the most generally in each election? Do you know, or are you asking me? I'm asking you. I don't know. I think it's old oh, people, but I, I don't think know. it's older people. Old people. <laughs> I don't know if it's old people, but, um, let me, let me see if I can find out. I think it's older people. <laughs> older people. But I'm not 100% sure, so don't quote me on that. Okay. In the 2016 – oh, yeah. Seniors are historically the con- 
count country can't talk the country's biggest voting block at least before covid because it made it harder for people to vote in the 2016 71 percent of americans aged 65 and older turned out to vote yeah i mean i i did know that like older people are just really committed to the institution of voting and have been more consistent Mm, yeah i see this is what I'm saying, though. Like, this is why I think people your age, also people my age, like, we should all be getting educated and um, getting out there. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Is there anything you want to say to wrap up Maybe <laughs> give a final statement about why it's important for people to vote or anything? Uh, no, I feel like I said enough about that. I don't want to keep saying. I'll just say, like, make a plan to vote if you have questions. You know, feel free to reach out to me. I can, if I can't answer them, I'll direct you to someone who can. Mm -hmm. But also, like the internet is a crazy place, but also has a wealth of knowledge. And so, uh, but I do encourage you to reach out to local organizations who are already doing this work, who can help you out too. Yeah. And Uh, mm -hmm. yeah. What do you, what are your last words? I feel like it's more important to get your last words on this. (laughs) I would say for people to not be afraid to be, like feel like you don't have much knowledge on this issue because mm. actually a lot of people feel that way, but it's kind of like, you know, it's like, oh, should I really be asking like how to vote? Like I, isn't this something mm-hmm. I'm supposed to know how to do? But really like everyone has to learn how to do it. And it's, and that's like part of the reason why I think like people are just like, oh, I, just, I can't be bothered by it, you know, but you shouldn't be that's afraid to That's a great point. Do. Yeah. That's a great point. Hannah's never been afraid. She always asks me all the basic questions. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, I'm like, and also, is this where I write my name? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and, also, and then she'll send me like pictures of her registration to be like, did I do this right? And so that like channel that energy. Be like Hannah. And also the reason we asked a lot of the questions, I asked a lot of the questions I did today was to help, you know, help you feel like no question is a stupid question. We are all learning yes, about yes. this together. Yes, and I I really enjoy like makes me feel happy to see people my age um, who feel the same way as me about voting and want to discuss it and stuff, and we we can really feel passionate about something. And so, if you want that feeling, then, <laughs> uh, start voting. Woo! Yeah, um, share this with all your friends, Hannah. Oh yeah. Oh, all, right, all, yes. all right. Cool. Well, that's all we got. Thank That's you so much, Hillary, for talking about voting, voting suppression, yeah. uh, a lot of the issues that people run into. And when is the next election? It's in November, November 8th, right? The next biggest, like the biggest election Big, yeah. to keep on your radar is coming up in November. There is a lot of different races happening um, around the country, it's including like federal congressional races. I know a lot of people are running. So Google your races and figure it out. Make a plan to vote. Right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Drop us a rating. Drop us a comment. Talk to you later. See you next time. Bye-bye.